0: She tried to be the perfect secretary while writing copy on the side. And could I have some dinner money while I'm doing two jobs? Yeah. She did everything by the book. And there was no book for a female copywriter. A term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Sterling, Cooper, Draper, Price, Cutler, Gleason, and Cha. It's a mouthful. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lipp.
1: I'm Dan Jasper.
0: And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. Hey, uh, we've uh, changed all our structures over at Patreon. Go have a look. We've made it more listener-friendly Uh, It's patreon.com slash they coined it pod. Come on over. We do stuff there.
1: And it's the best way to support us.
0: And we appreciate it. And we thank you.
1: So Ginsburg has what you could say is the beginning of a little break here in this episode, right?
0: Oh, for fucking
1: sure. We'll get to that, obviously. It's a fascinating set of, of incidents with him. But he says something... When he's sitting on the floor next to his desk. As one does. He says, I am become death. I am the destroyer of the world. That's a famous quote. Do you know what that quote is?
0: Yeah, from the guy with the nuclear... J. With Robert the tel- Oppenheimer. Thank you. Names and <laughs> nouns and history. Thank you. Yeah.
1: He famously built the bombs that were dropped on uh, 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 Japan in World War II. So after that, he was filled with regret. He couldn't handle the fact that he created these huge, huge bombs. Was said that, like, if in, a, in an interview or some kind of uh, either a speech or an interview, he said that, I am the destroyer of worlds. I am become death, which is like a, a Sanskrit or some kind of ancient verse or something. But he was basically taking responsibility, actually taking, you know, sort of all the responsibility, frankly, mm. for that. So it was an interesting thing for Ginsburg to say, you know, he's identifying with, well, we're helping these people, whether it's capitalism or to make war or whatever, that's how he's identifying as this, this type of mea culpa of some kind. Interestingly, Oppenheimer, I think, went into Truman later in his presidency. Truman had just become president when he dropped the bomb, obviously. He went in, it was sort of like un- unburdening himself to the president, about how horrible he feels, and <laughs> Truman listens, says thank you, shakes his hand, and walks him out of the office. And he tells the secretary, "Don't let him in here ever again." <laughs> this Oppenheimer, he's he's a little a little tough to take.
0: Well, that's a good correlation too.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> truly, another another guy, perhaps with a break,
0: or who you don't you don't want darkening your door.
1: <laughs> truly, truly, <laughs> don't truly.
0: Keep keep Ginsburg away from my office.
1: Keep Mister Negative <laughs> out of my uh, space. Tale of Two Cities, written by Jeanette Leahy and Matthew Weiner.
0: I think it's I think it's just Janet. I'm looking at the what word. Did I say Janet. Jeanette? Oh, sorry. you did. You got so French.
1: I gave her an extra TTE. Directed by John Slattery, original air date, June 2nd, 2013. Takes place between August 26th through the thirtieth, 1968. In this episode, the merged firm is becoming polarized into us versus them camps. Joan manages to get some serious interest from Avon as a client and has to navigate the expectations of her role. Don and Roger go to L.A. and meet Harry there for some meetings. Ginsburg's starting to show signs of mental health issues. Don attends a party in L.A. and hallucinates about just about everything. New firm settles on a new name, Sterling Cooper and Partners. Democratic National Convention blows up in Chicago. When we start out, we see this schism in the office, right? There's still no agreement on what the firm's going to be called. And when Cutler goes in to talk to the creative team, I think about Manischewitz. Yes. They're listening, to the, they're listening to the convention on the radio. And, you know, there's this dichotomy over like, oh, it doesn't affect me. And Jim reminds them that, you know, Napalm's an account, or at least Dow is an account. Right. And
0: this is where we're starting to see Ginsburg... Heat up,
1: yeah, yeah. He's he's overly uh, affected by this conversation.
0: We've questioned before, and we're starting to question more in this scene, and even more later. Like, what is the what is his mental health state? But he's fueled by this yeah. sort of conflict about that he works for the man, basically, and that he, you know, he's Abe working as in Peggy's job, if you will.
1: And Cutler, who we know is like this, cut your heart out kind of guy. It likes to pretend that he's apolitical or not affected by that, or at least not distracted by the politics and what's going on. It's all about business, whatever meetings ahead of him. So this is a huge blow up in the in the creative room.
0: He's checking on Manischewitz because he's covering it for Roger when Roger's going to be in L.A. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it starts to get heated. And then Bob Benson comes in to, and tries to like yeah. make it, smooth it over and Cutler tear, like what the hell? Like it was a wildly reverse, I don't know. I was shocked by it. Like yells at him. What the hell? It was I, How many times have I told you not to be down here? It was very weird.
1: Then he goes into Ted's office and is like, we fired the wrong people, right? Like it's a very us versus them conversation. And uh, even though there's no SCDP people in the room, Ted's trying to be a peacemaker. You've got to. Work with these people, and we've got to become one team, and all the rest.
0: Ted's also got such a great way. I love this. I love Ted in this scene where he's you, that that background of familiarity that the two of them have. Cutler walks in, just kind of normal, and Ted goes, "You're mad," and it, it's kind of peppered throughout yeah. that scene that Ted really knows who he's dealing with, and we don't. We're just getting. You know, you talked. You said something about his sharkness. I'm just getting to know it in this episode. Like what, like what he ends up doing Mm -hmm. throughout (laughs) swimming the shark, shark waters is pretty intense because he walks out of that. He walks out of that. You're right. He walks out of that office. Like it seems kind of quiet and resolved, but that's not Mm -hmm. it.
1: No, he's not. He's perpetuating the us versus them. He's not interested in a resolution here. You know, that's how things kind of get started. Like that's just out of the gate. And it, it kind of, it kind of, goes through the episode like that, right? Like, there's a lot of that, you know, and and ultimately what happens is uh, they find out Manischewitz is in review.
0: Let me ask you something. Yeah? Because the next thing that happens in this this piece is that Cutler goes back to Bob after screaming at him like that, pretends it doesn't happen, and says, hey, do you want to cover Manischewitz for me? It's Mm because he didn't want to, well, this is what I want to ask you. I thought at that point, that he's setting Bob Benson up to get fired. First, he says, we should fire their, they fired the wrong people. And he was clearly coming from uh, the Ginsburg perspective. Regardless, we fired the wrong people. He yells at Bob. He has this talk with Ted. He sends Bob to Manischewitz.
1: Yeah, because he says, I believe in you, Bob, but you're untested. Well, how does he know if he's not a CGC guy? It just seems to be way too familiar.
0: I don't know. Ted knows that that Ginsburg is lightning in a bottle. I mean, he could actually know who the talent is by now in order to assess who should yeah. be gone. Because at the end, obviously we're jumping around for this, but like the Manischewitz meeting ends up, it's Bob and Ginsburg, and they find out that... Manischewitz is putting them on uh, what's the phrase in review putting them in review and then that's when Roger says well we knew that anyway which I think he should have told Jim (laughs) Cutler but also at the beginning I thought he was putting Bob in it to blow it but then when he ostensibly blows it he takes all the responsibility back until Roger says, no, it was me. So I, like, I don't know what the fuck Cutler was doing there. I,
1: I, th- I think where we're supposed to get to here is the important thing, which is there was a great meeting in Chevy, which Ted's responsible for. There was the Avon thing, which they took care of without the bosses from the other side. Manashevitz goes on their side of the ledger, not CGCs. And so it's very much a keeping score Kind of a mindset, right? We we're we're plus two, they're minus one. Let's keep it that way, which obviously is not the way it ought to be. And where they get to at the end of the episode, in terms of the name, is they resolve Sterling Cooper and Partners is the name of the firm, no more CGC, and it's as Bert says very eloquently, it's equally offensive to all, and it is a good name.
0: It's yeah, it's a very good name, and the ampersand, and you you can already picture it before. You see it, and, of course, we, we've we seen it. But um, later in the episode, Cutler is back in, T- in Ted's office, and Ted says, you're splitting the place and not in half. So that's when it becomes, that's when it's said. You know, yeah. that's yeah. when you really start to see that now. Ted even sees what Cutler is doing. And so, and the reason I bring that up now is because this name compromise was very much a wink over to we're, we're giving this over. We're giving a little more power in the name to Sterling Cooper when really, you know, these guys really are putting the coup back into <laughs> Sterling Cooper. At least that's what mm-hmm. I'm seeing in this episode.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's that, that's pretty interesting. I think what we're supposed to get, get the sense of is that there's this kind of detente at the end that we, we do come to a place where everyone's given up a little bit names on the door and all the rest. And we're going to go with something shorter and frankly more elegant that I think everybody could get behind.
0: I think everyone in that office is supposed to think that. I I don't know if I'm supposed to think that.
1: That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You've
0: got that, that he says that to uh, Ted says that to Cutler very late in the episode. And it is Cutler who is, who we now know we can't trust as far as we can think about throwing him. Right.
1: But he begrudgingly agrees to this too.
0: I think it's his idea.
1: Maybe, but but détente isn't uh, isn't a forever peace. Détente is sort of like, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a ceasefire and a little bit of a, it's okay for now kind of thing. So I think that's what this represents. Fair enough. At least an in interim peace. In
0: in between all of that was the Ginsburg fucking breakdown, which that was so interesting. You've got. Stanley calls upstairs to Bob Benson and it, it seemed like this was not the first time that either of those two guys have dealt, have witnessed or dealt with this kind of a thing. But now we've got to get him to the client.
1: Bob, by the way, is up in his office listening to motivational records. Right, right, right. Which is, you got to get your head around that first. I, but And he's dozed with off. the record Like it's...
0: it. it <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that little tape you used to pop in, that little, oh yeah. that little podcast and I, I listened to. Now there were records for it. That's very funny.
1: There were, but I also think that that was also those motivational records were very popular. That is not the outlier it would seem like now. I've never
0: heard. I, it was the first I've ever. I'm. I
1: believe power you. of positive thinking, and uh, uh, there's some names I'm sure I'm, I'm missing on that. But you know, uh, whether it's Dale Carnegie, you know, all kinds of this power of positive thinking stuff, the movie uh The Founder, which is about Ray Kroc, who founded McDonald's.
0: Oh, it's a fucking fantastic movie. Great film.
1: He listened to that stuff nonstop. He was like all about that. And this guy was like building McDonald's. Amazing. I
0: had no idea. Like, I, I certainly knew about the movement. I knew about the books. I did not know about the records. Yeah, That's all. It's crazy. That's
1: great. Anyway, so he goes down. Yeah, and he's summoned, summons to calm down Ginsburg.
0: Who... You know, it's just undeniable at this point that that there is mental illness there. Like we can't pretend not not that we've been pretending, but the thing is, he gets summoned like they've done it a thousand times.
1: Yeah, Bob is like the Ginsburg whisperer,
0: right? And Stanley knows that. Like so, it's a whole it's a whole dynamic that is ongoing. It just doesn't generally happen on their way to a client. We've been wondering, we as an audience, throughout the Ginsburg thing, from the moment he talked about being an alien. Is this guy mentally ill? What's his like, deal? what's his deal? Yeah. Like, is he wildly entertaining, or is he socially something, or is it worse? Yeah, is he quirky,
1: or is this like malignant? And
0: somehow? it's very clear that he is suffering from uh, some severe mental illness, and uh, it's not going well. Well, the
1: inappropriateness i lo- they love—they've—they've they've built him very slowly.
0: It's been brilliant. What, what no, it it's two, absolutely been brilliant. Two
1: seasons where the inappropriateness of his. Of his comments is building. He he was sort of mildly, and that's where the quirky comes out. Uh, the, the quirkiness is, is is you're wondering about that. He's mildly inappropriate with Don early on. I, I
0: don't know from that first interview with between him and between Don and Peggy. I, I don't know if that was mild. Eh,
1: I, I'd say it was pretty mild. Yeah,
0: it came off yeah. maybe quirky, but.
1: Uh-uh. Well, that's what I mean. You're not instantly going, this guy's mentally ill, but slowly, oh, from there to here, there's been this kind, you know, the stuff with the, the, the shoe company and, you know, all yeah. the, all the various points in between, obviously the, the being born in a concentration camp. So yeah, there's a lot, a, a lot of evidence and nothing that you'd like hang your hat on until now, until now, you know. Yeah.
0: And, and he reminded us that, um, he's the only one of them that doesn't take drugs. So, you know, <laughs> right. you could see where somebody who's just taken, you know, way too much acid and, and, and some of it went bad would be in that same position on the floor as, as Ginsburg, yeah. but
1: this yeah, is not yeah, that. Yeah. Manischewitz, tomorrow afternoon. Think you can handle the parties involved? Michael Ginsburg or the clients? I don't see much
0: difference, do you? I think I can keep the volume down. You know, the episode opens with the scene. Don is watching the convention on TV and Megan is basically sending him, preparing to send him off to LA. And she's kind of dressed, you know, like a teenager. And it's just, it's so sad. They they seem so cute together, but they also, you know, he says, come with me. We could go to Disneyland. Uh, you know, I, I recall some wonderful things happening there. And she was like, Biggest mistake of my life. Ha, 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 ha. And he's like, (laughs) and then he's like, I hate actresses. Ha, 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 ha. You know, that just the whole, it's just sad what's happening over there. Right. Right. The other thing it reminded me, too, is that California has always been this safe haven for Don.
1: Mm, Very
0: much. And it is, this trip is not that.
1: (laughs) You know, Anna's
0: gone. He's not bringing the girl of his dreams with him. He's not going to Disneyland this is all ugly and bright and
1: no no this is this is this is California hitting him in the face yeah. they've got meetings with Sunkissed carnation and the avocado people we only see the carnation boy do we the flight over I think is interesting too because you're setting up now Don and Roger and Don's trying to be you know diligent uh, preparing for these meetings Roger just wants him to drink and hey we're going to LA let's let's get loaded. And, you know, Roger, Roger's of the opinion that, hey, we're the New York ad guys. We're going to be slick out there. They're a bunch of bumpkins. And Don's kind of like, yeah, I don't, you shouldn't really look at it that way. These guys spend real money. He yeah, understands. He I think it's, it's all that, um, rockets and space account stuff that I think he went out there for a number of times and all the money that came in over, over really the course of the sixties from these defense contractors that, Told him it's, it's the real deal out there. It's not what you think. And D- Roger's not there yet. Roger's still in New York, 1962. You know, we're the conquistadors, he calls them, <laughs> which I don't even know what that's <laughs> supposed to mean. You know, you're setting, you know, Roger, you can tell Roger's like setting himself up for like this huge, you know, also to get hit in the face. Yeah, this, that, that's not what this is anymore. If it was once ever that, it's not that now. Right.
0: Right. That, that meeting. <laughs>
1: It was fascinating.
0: Where you basically you've got they start to talk about the protests and the uh, you know and the convention and the and the violence and it's you're kind of like oh god you guys have the wrong take on this and then the big honcho comes in and shuts it down. We don't talk about politics, but then what he ends up saying is so much worse. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and it's just like ah, these guys. But I gotta say, Roger they are losing them they are losing them until and then roger comes in with one of his fucking rogerisms what yeah. was it i know your ex-girlfriend hurt you
1: yeah but we're here now
0: and he says it and you're going like oh god no roger no no and you could see that it just warms everything it worked <laughs>
1: how did it work it does no how it, did it, work? it it absolutely It absolutely did that. But, but listen, they weren't there to fuck around either. You know, what's with life serial? This is a conflict for, do you understand how we see this? They're not, uh, they're not suffering fools. So yeah, it's a really interesting. And, and just by, just by bringing up the Reagan's name, Mm. calls him Dutch Reagan, which is great. Yep. Uh, just by bringing up Reagan, it's sort of like, yeah, we're kind of preparing to take over the world from out here. So you know cool cool your jets there they're white sunny. hair sunny yeah um yeah it was really it was really fascinating really really fascinating um so they're out there and while they're out there
0: it's really harry's show listen it to it harry's is. credit we are now getting a sense of what harry's been up to and harry right. he's
1: not fucking around either well he is fucking around but he's not he's taking his job seriously
0: it looks like he isn't but by how he's taking it seriously, but this is how to take your job seriously. You don't take well, that's meetings. It's kind of the
1: California ethos, right? It's casual, it's laid back, but they're preparing to take over the world. Yeah,
0: you and you don't take a meeting. You go to a party. You don't hand out a card.
1: You just say <laughs> right. everything's groovy. What's Roger wearing at the party, Roberta? Is he wearing an ascot? What am I going to say is he, about? He's is wearing, he wearing an ascot? ascot. He's wearing a big fat ascot. Okay. Uh, so it's really all we need to know. We can we can end the podcast here. Roger Warren I Ascot. I have an
0: Ascot blind spot.
1: You must. Um, but
0: you're right, because who's the biggest asshole at that party?
1: Although he does <laughs> oh save
0: God. Don's life, I guess.
1: I, I, I guess so. Uh, my favorite line there is, uh, Danny Siegel, this will be fun. <laughs> Come on, this will be fun.
0: What I love about that, I mean, that is so meta. Because let me remind you who Danny Strong is. Not that he was a loser of any kind. He was an actor. He was he was uh, he had a prominent recurring role on Buffy,
1: and then Mad Men for a season.
0: But in between, he's gone on and sort of, you know, halfway taken over Hollywood. He's a he hadn't
1: ma- major guy. He hadn't yet. taken
0: over Hollywood yet, but he already by by this time I'm uh, pretty sure he already had the first HBO film. Was it Recount? Was the first one?
1: Oh yeah, he did recount. He did recount. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah.
0: But he is out there, this this writer and, and producer. No, it, it, it's just it, really mirrors his story. It's just very a bit, fun, which is,
1: which is awesome.
0: And then the only thing I'm going to just take issue with is he got laid off, not fired.
1: Well, Roger's now divorced from his cousin or whatever, so he can he doesn't have to pretend anything. I
0: just don't see why his resentment is that deep toward Roger.
1: Um, because he lost his job, probably. right? But I'm just
0: saying it wasn't personal. I mean, they they no. they let him in when they shouldn't have, and they kept him when they shouldn't have, and he was one no. of the guys. But it was first one in, last one out, or whatever. Last one in, first one out.
1: I think Danny, the character, was just fine greeting Roger and Don. I think when Roger started making the stupid jokes and the small and the the, no, that's true. the the height and everything else, that's when he was like, "All right, fucko, like let's go." Yeah, punched that him was, right where he can reach was, him. <laughs> it
0: was very yeah, funny. Truly. I would like to have her for lunch. Well, don't have Harry Crane set it up. He got us very high up at three major companies. You forgot because Chevy fell in your
1: lap, but big accounts require a golf and dining offensive. Walking in with the the blazers (laughs) and the the tie and everything else, uh, they couldn't possibly be more out of place, which was really cool to see.
0: Yeah, I loved, listen, I was not around for parties in the 60s, but I have seen enough films they nailed like it just like that house with the endless, you know, the, the California, the <laughs> yeah. cause it's one, one level or, uh, or at least that one f- first floor is sprawling and just, the, the, I mean, they're just walking down halls and walking in and then they get to the main room and then the main room is out there is leads to the outside, but there's a bar. It's amazing.
1: Those homes are still standing in. Yeah. LA. You know, it's probably easy to f- <laughs> find a good location to, to shoot that, you know, for sure.
0: Oh, it's great. And when she offers him the hookah. Uh-huh. It's in case we were wondering if, if Don had set his mommy issues aside, she says there's a spare nipple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now is that what they call it? I don't hookah. Is it called a, a nipple when you're sucking on the hookah?
0: I've never hookahed. I've never heard that term. Me neither. Uh
1: it's a thing. It's a very I mean, hipster thing to do now.
0: Slang changes, so I so I,
1: I see it on TikTok. That's all I know. People still hookah,
0: but do they nipple? That's the.
1: Do they call it a nipple? Uh, that would seem to free be free the hookah. A little, a little, a little on the nipple to uh, <laughs> Jesus fuck for that.
0: I'm the, I'm the to one to say
1: that. It up. But yeah, Don evidently is is hookah friendly. It just gets completely blasted by this thing. He's hallucinating like never before.
0: It was his regular drinking plus hash. As far as we know, that's all. But who knows? I mean, it was it was there was nothing he was saying no to.
1: No. And he's, uh, you know, he's hallucinating. He thinks he sees Megan out there.
0: Well, it's it's he. Yeah, he's
1: he's thinks he sees private thinking. He's making out with
0: this with this woman. And then he turns and he looks and it's Megan. And, the you know, it was definitely one of those moments where where. This whole sequence, and it's it's there's no clear cut. What's real? What's the hallucination? What's the dream? What's not? And you have many moments where you're not sure, and it ultimately doesn't matter. For a minute,
1: you're saying, is Megan really out there? Like, that wasn't a woman right. who looked like Megan, which they've done on the show, too. Looks like Megan, looks like Betty, but isn't. And there
0: had been one earlier. There was a woman who came out of the pool that just out briefly looked like L- Megan. So she's...
1: Completely. She's
0: He's seeing her there, but all of a sudden, it's really Megan, and it's very clearly... Not You just assess the hair. and
1: And what does she say when it's actually Megan in his hallucination talking to him? What does she say in that hallucination?
0: I like when you test me.
1: It's rhetorical. I'm about to tell you. The line that she uses is, this is home now. Which is what she said when they were talking about Chicago, about the riots. You don't vote. Don, this is home now. I live here. Maybe she doesn't say this is home now. Maybe she says I live here. I forget which one. But it's the exact line from from the conversation about Chicago. It's a callback for sure. She,
0: I mean, she tells him she has quit her job because she wants to be with him inside this fantasy that is in California. Then she says, she lets him know she's pregnant. Yeah. So this is the the absolute, and it's so interesting because this is Don's fantasy that Megan does everything for him and what he wants. As though if Megan quit her job and had a baby, their marriage would be
1: better. I mean, that's <laughs> right. the sad part, right? Well, meaning he could still make out with the other chick and you know everything else that would be his fantasy. Don
0: says, what do you think it is? And sh- Megan says, a second chance. It's mm-hmm. just, no, Don.
1: So Don does the only thing he can do, which is try to drown himself in the pool
0: he walks right into the water just like his ad just like when he goes to LA you know California the other times except it's a more peaceful walk and she even said earlier go for a swim it always makes you feel better
1: there you go now i've been keeping track don passes out now this is the the eighth time
0: let's check the tote board is it the eighth time what do you he got
1: he passed out he you either pass out or or you know uh get unconscious in one way or another in the jet set in the new girl 723 the suitcase mystery date the phantom the crash and in tale of two Su- that's eight different times in six seasons we've seen don go unconscious
0: sounds like a lot i think he was dead this time
1: yeah this was, a real, probably was uh, dead. a real incident this was this was and we don't know it's real we see him face down in the water we think it's Don. That's his coat. What's going on? And then we're like, what's he going to wake up and be, you know, making out with that girl again? What, what point are we going to go back to? It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> that no that's was, the
0: one that really happened. But in between really Megan and the dead body is, you mentioned already, uh, P- PFC Dinkins. Now, yeah. how does PFC Dinkins get introduced?
1: At you see bar. his
0: hand with his lighter, lighting Don's cigarettes yeah. with the, uh, the Dinkins lighter the that lighter. Don threw away. Yeah. But he, but it's all this death stuff that has been swirling around that is obviously that Don is obsessed with. Dinkins says my wife thinks I'm MIA. I'm actually dead, and he's only got one arm. And Don doesn't understand. Don thinks that that death is going to be better. And then Dinkins is like, no, dying doesn't make you whole. You that doesn't you make you whole. See right? what you look like. That's Jeez. that's the. Then he goes outside and sees his body. I'm really thirsty. There's a pool
1: full of water out there, Don. I told you that's not my name. Originally watching this the first time, I could give a shit about any of this. None of this was interesting to me. I found it really boring. I couldn't go with another Don flashback slash hallucination, dreamlike state. I was kind of like, ish, cringy almost. I remember. I liked it a lot better this time. It made a lot more not just more sense overall in terms of the narrative, but it fit better it felt better it seemed way more organic this time again i i I'm less concerned with what's happening than than how it happens and i'm this this felt much more cohesive to me than I remember it being the first time
0: yeah, I was fine with it
1: <laughs> move it on
0: i don't i don't I don't remember the first time and I wasn't in love with it here, but it I think I probably didn't dislike it as much as you did the first time and didn't like it as much as you did the second time. But I'm fine with it. I'm okay with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was entertaining to me, at least. It was more than a lot of other stuff. Let's take a break. There'll be an extra nipple when we're back. And uh, we'll see you in a bit.
0: Joan's having a big day. It's not a day. You know what I mean?
1: She does. They they introduce it very interestingly, this lunch that she has. They don't, we don't know who this guy He's very familiar looking. I forget what he's been in, but I recognize that guy's face. That's all I got.
0: More helpful content, listeners.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. I thought I recognized that guy, but I still don't know who he is. Anyway, they don't really explain who he is. It kind of unfolds a little bit as we go, right? Like... Is it social? Is it business? Uh, Her friend, whatever, Katie, I think her name was, whatever it was. Um, They're kind of defining what this relationship is going to be.
0: What it is, what it turns out to be, is that Katie is sending her, Joan, a professional connection for a potential client. Joan had misunderstood and thought that it was going to be a date. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. But you don't know. It comes out through the conversation. We didn't know any of that in advance.
1: By the way, there's a lot that I could not fill in going all the way through to the Peggy stuff. So we'll talk about that.
0: Okay, I'm here to help. Thank you. I'm pretty flat on this, I think. Uh, Remember, her friend sees Joan as more important and powerful in that office than she is. Mm -hmm. So this lunch made sense to her friend more than it did to Joan. And you can actually see by the costuming, Joan... Joan was dressed, while appropriate for the office, for a date. She was flowery and feminine.
1: Oh, I see. When yeah, she yeah, comes yeah. back okay. to
0: the next meeting, which we'll get to, her 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 dress, I mean, it, it's subtle stuff. This is Janie Bryant just being brilliant. Her dress is still form-fitting and Joan, but it's solid and sort of got masculine features, you know, buttons down the ah, front or whatever. Right, 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 right. It's more of a suit version of a Joan dress than this one. This is but all But she flowers. ends
1: up pitching the firm quite well to this guy whenever she figures all this out, right?
0: Yes, it's it's interesting. This, I definitely... Like I said, I'm flat on this. I'm clear on this. More than I have been before. Although I'm now trying to remember it line for line. Yes, she pitched quite well. It was a a real change. She was like... She, she kind of paused and then went, I get it. I'm the account person in this moment. And yes. she was right. In this moment, she was correct. But what was interesting is, in some ways, she did a very good job. And she certainly did enough to get him interested. But she really doesn't have the words to talk about. I mean, first of all, she doesn't have a respectable way to describe herself. She says, I'm in charge of thinking of things before people know they need them. Well,
1: she clearly wasn't ready for that question.
0: She doesn't have a better answer. And and in all of it, in, in talking about, and when we get to the next scene, all of her answers are, we're good at listening to the client, but she doesn't have much more than that. And I got it. like She runs that office from over here. And she sort of understands the content of what they do here and there. And she was the most articulate when it came to media buying because she almost had that job. Yeah. But but the rest of it, she really doesn't know. And as when I was a project manager, I knew everything about how to get it done and not as much about what we were getting done. Not as much. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the upshot is she finds herself in a position of The client thinks she's an account person. She wants to be the account person. We know because it's Joan and we've seen all this growth and experience and how amazing Joan is at everything, that she certainly has the chops to be an account person. It's set up as so many things are in the show as like this triumphant moment for Joan. Oh, she's going to be, this is her path. She's now she now has the gravitas to sit with clients and not only be a partner of the firm, but actually handle their business. And this is great. And wow, that'll be awesome. And what she quickly learns is, you know, she gets stay in your lane, basically. And Pete, who is (laughs) I feel like nowadays, not that there's not a line between account work and everything else. We've talked about it. What does an account person do and all the rest? Roger's proficiency at it. I feel like nowadays there would be a lot more latitude for Joan to stay involved. I don't see this much rigorous definition of roles. You know, Pete saying you make the call, you hand it to me, you say how important I am. like. That's that's very of the, that's very um, period. I think.
0: Coffee, please. I didn't know Ted was going to handle it that way.
1: Well, he did, and Pete's not coming because he wasn't invited. you can't do that. I did it. If you want to leave go ahead. I hope I didn't keep you waiting.
0: The great moment is when she picks up the check
1: right she's <laughs> she never that. done that before that <laughs> right. much
0: she under, again operations she she does all that she knows that's a yeah, that she, was a great moment. she then she goes to Peggy. She's like I have this great opportunity. It's fucking Avon. It's perfect for me, for you. Let's do this. She doesn't want what you just said. She doesn't want to be erased from this process. I don't think that he saw her as an account person, but he definitely trusted her enough to you know, I don't think he he thought she had a role that she didn't have, but but he definitely was connected to her. It was very it was very uh parallel with Lane and Jaguar.
1: Yeah, very much so. Exactly.
0: And they gave him a chance and he fucking blew it. But this guy actually did trust Joan as much as Joan thought he did. What to what you're saying. I think the way it would happen now, here's what you said before that, you just said um, that Joan definitely has the talent or the skills or the something chops, the chops. That's right. But she doesn't have the skills and she does have the talent, but she doesn't have the training. So what they should have done is brought her in and been like, you follow my lead.
1: Yeah, hold her hand through it. Yeah.
0: What they would do today if somebody said, listen, I just did this thing and I've always been interested in account work. And they'd bring them in as a quieter junior account person.
1: Absolutely. That's what should have happened.
0: It never would have happened in this world, especially to Joan, especially to a woman.
1: Right. And not by Pete.
0: And not by Pete. But- Everybody who yelled at Joan in this episode was correct. Everybody. Joan shot herself in the foot with this one and and we don't know yet if it worked out because at the end there's a fake phone call from Avon that Peggy sets up.
1: She I, I agree she shot herself in the foot, but it's one of those it's one of those incidents. It's a self inflicted wound that was kind of how do you respond to the injustice that Joan is experiencing? I'm not excusing what Joan did, but there really wasn't any wiggle room for Joan to get satisfaction. Pete was like, You'll get the credit. And she's like, I don't really just want the credit. I kind of am, I, I don't want to just pay for the lunch when I write the expense check. I want to be at the lunch or whatever, the, you know, as a metaphor. And Pete was not giving her any room to squeeze in there.
0: He wasn't. And that's unfortunate. And maybe maybe Roger would have. Who knows? It's hard to imagine. Roger sees winning clients as, as you need a golf course for that.
1: But you'd think also, he wasn't giving her any wiggle room, but you'd think also Joan could if she was, and I think she was emotionally tied to this client. Not, I don't mean socially, but she was so invested that she didn't see that she probably could have- even with that no wiggle room, sat down with Pete quietly in his office and said, Pete, I kind of want this. And here's why. And here's what I propose. Or here's a way for me to... There might have been. Now, they weren't, for the sake of the episode, they were not going to go down that path. But, you know, if we're exploring this, I I, I feel like that could have been an option.
0: It could have. She she really did it wrong.
1: No, she, she handled a bad situation poorly. And Joan is an expert at handling any situation perfectly and she didn't do that here even
0: later she said to pete something about oh i i must have misunderstood or made a mistake and like nobody's buying that like jones never made a mistake you can't get away
1: with that too (laughs) smart to play dumb
0: but it's this meeting that i think is the most fascinating and i'm wondering if this is where you have questions also between the client meeting yeah the lunch lunch. yeah
1: i do I, i don't totally understand what happened
0: so Peggy's mad, but then he but then Andy shows up, so now we're we're putting this on, and Peggy starts doing what the Don and Peggy move of you know my mother was an Avon user, and she starts to tell the story and the the woman who came to her house and she was so glamorous, and my mother would vacuum the curtains,
1: yeah, and yeah. Joan
0: cuts her off and starts talking about what the advertising agency can do for you now she was a hundred percent wrong to cut her off, yeah. And again, she she has some good selling points about the agency, but she's not there yet. She needs some training. No. She needs some coaching.
1: A hundred percent. She's, out, as they say, out out over her skis with Exactly. This, That's the so.
0: phrase I keep yeah. thinking, too. And then she kind of does enough of that and she runs out of steam for a second and then she goes, Peggy? And Peggy's kind of yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that. Then Peggy you know, thanks fast and is like, all right, what do I say now that wasn't what I was saying before?
1: <laughs> right. Well, Peggy starts off off with this um, personal connection. That's right. Which is a great way to engage the client, right? You're kind of easing into the conversation and you share a little bit about yourself and the way that it connects to their brand and what they're doing. Anything you say is coming from a place of personal knowledge and firsthand type of if not passion just some kind of connection and that's Peggy's great at that. In the course of that of that back and forth they hit point we, they were talking strategy and they talk about oh we can br- do the meetings at the office maybe since your problem is that the women are now in the workplace and there's less less opportunity to uh to knock on doors and everything and Joan has that comment there's no doorbell at the office right so there is again it's just that little that little ray of of sunshine of that instinct that is perfect
0: it's the old camp for anybody who doesn't know the old timeless campaign was i mean now people associate it with book of mormon but the doorbell was avon because the avon ladies right. here
1: absolutely because this was a brand that was sold door to door it was not there's no storefront or anything else so again that amazing instinct that's just not grounded in enough practice and that's right polish of a Roger, or even a Peggy.
0: Or even a Peggy.
1: So they get back to the office and they start having this argument. This is where I kind of fall off a little bit.
0: Peggy and Joan?
1: Joan, yeah.
0: Yeah. Joan's wrong. Peggy is, you shouldn't have done that. It's going to blow up. You know, she doesn't say you put me in a bad position, right? Which she did. Mm -hmm. But what's wonderful in this episode is that Peggy... Continues to root for Joan throughout it. And so, and that was a moment where she did. But, but Joan, Joan is just defending herself by saying to Peggy, you had a chance. Why can't I have a chance? And yes. there was Peggy going, yeah, and every day you told me I shouldn't do it and couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And it goes back and forth like this. And listen, we love Joan. And we forget she was hard to love as it related to Peggy in Seasons 1 and 2. Yeah. She she was terrible to Peggy. She was absolutely begrudging. She did not understand why the hell, what she was doing. She thought, this is no way to get a man. And Peggy didn't forget that and doesn't actively hold it against her. But don't you tell me that supporting a woman's career change, And Peggy also... What she also says is, I came up through the ranks. I actually worked. And then that's where Joan is like, oh, yeah, well, because Don pulled you.
1: Right. And and that's, <laughs> I'm going back to, you know, you got a chance to change your path. Why can't I? And I'm saying, like, that's just so incongruous. That's so. Well, yeah, because she's
0: not doing it the right way.
1: But yeah. Peggy's not upset that Joan wants to. No. Work an account. She's upset that she sat her down with a client without Pete there and the right way. I mean, it's it's the the how versus the what.
0: If nothing else, Peggy is very respectful of the process. I mean, the most transgressive she's been is with the ham, and and yeah. doing the PR stunt with the ham.
1: Yeah, yeah. But even then, she knew what she was doing. Like she knew the why and the and, the, and that and what how it all fit in. She was just unapproved and got out of hand
0: what i don't think joan ever believed she sort of said but never i don't think believed is the best thing for this client is me
1: yes and we all want to believe that
0: and you're gonna go in and blow it pete that's not what she said this was about her and peggy wanted what she wanted But she always understood that she was serving the agency, that she was serving the client, that she was serving the project, and Joan didn't understand that in this instance. She was not serving the agency for sure. Right,
1: right. She went scorched earth, and Peggy never went scorched earth.
0: Peggy followed the rules.
1: Yeah, well, within yeah, right. Within Uh once she was able to switch lanes, she stayed in her lane.
0: But even when she she asked Joan's permission and, you know, she, the whole time she tried to be the perfect secretary while writing copy on the side and could I have some dinner money while I'm doing two jobs? Yeah. She did everything by the book and there was no book for a female copywriter.
1: Right. And she didn't go behind anyone's back to no, do what she did. No, this is
0: what, this is what yeah. I'm saying. And then, the, And then the other piece of it is she said, "She's uh, Joan." Says the thing about about Don, you know, pulling you along, whatever. Yeah. she says, and Peggy says, "I didn't sleep with him."
1: Which Joan takes as a jaguar reference.
0: And maybe Peggy meant it that way, but she didn't deliver it that way.
1: I don't think she did. That that's the part that, that was a big part of my yeah, disconnect. That's it was what like, I you might- wait a minute, when did this suddenly become about jaguar? Only because Joan and the audience, with you know, the audience is omniscient here. We know that she didn't sleep with with Don. We don't know what Peggy knows or doesn't know about Jaguar, but the rumors are certainly yeah, out Peggy there. Yeah,
0: Peggy knows everything because everybody knows everything and Peggy knows all of it.
1: Right. But it's not all explicit. So yeah, I don't think Peggy was making a Jaguar reference at all. She wasn't saying I didn't sleep with Don. I didn't sleep with someone to get where I am. And Joan, you know, the thi- the skin is very thin on, on with that.
0: Well, on both of them. Because she yeah. said, because Joan didn't yeah, say right. anything yeah, about sleeping them, with Don, truly. but Peggy always, always remembers that everybody assumed that she slept with Don. So, so they true. each heard the thing that yeah. neither of them said.
1: There was a button for each yep. of them that was sort of pressed, even though neither of them was really trying to press. Neither of them buttons.
0: rang that doorbell. Oh, oh!
1: See, you just brought it back. Come in. Mr. Campbell wants to see you in the conference room.
0: Oh. And what is it regarding?
1: Avon sent over a box of samples to the girls, and Diane opened it, not me. I'll
0: be right in. So the way this wraps up is everybody gets back, and everybody's mad, and Pete rips her a new asshole. And again, I'm gonna... I mean, Pete was right. Pete was right a bunch of times in this episode, and because he is such a scowling motherfucker, nobody listens to him anymore... Or ever did. But he was definitely right about this. You did this wrong. You shouldn't have done this. And then Peggy sets up this fake Joan Avon's on the phone for you moment. Yeah. I just want to do a costume thing. When Joan meets Andy for what she thinks is a date, she's in the flower dress. The next time she comes back, she is in a solid blue, like a turquoise, with yellow pumps. And then the next day that we see them in the office, when... After they've had this fight, after she and Peggy have had this fight, Peggy is wearing a blue suit with yellow pumps. Ah. So that nice. is how, I mean, again, this is, I learned this shit from Tom and Lorenzo. Now I see it without reading it. I look for what's, what. where's continuity? And I just wow. noticed that outfit on Joan. And then the next, I'm like, look at that. So when Peggy, the day that Peggy comes back and is on her side, that's a way you know that.
1: Yeah, that's Tom and Lorenzo stuff's amazing. I mean, it's a whole other way to see the show. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's, I think I've said this before. I look at all movies and TV through this view now. Like, where are the colors and the patterns speaking to each other and, you know, and in conflict and this and that? And that, but that was a beautiful, it was very subtle because if you're not looking, you're not seeing it. And, you know, and, and, and very cool. Janie Bryant told them they were 90% right. So this, this was 100%. <laughs> right. There was no question.
1: Right, right, right. All right, cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. So yeah, I mean, it all, it all kind of comes down to, to that conversation. And Peggy does a great thing by going and getting Joan and that they, they listen to the, to the after, you know, the after talk. I forget what, you know, what the, what the lines are, but it's basically like, look, she better, you know, she's going to get the account. She'll get the account, you know, and it, it all's well at that ends well kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, we have to wait and see if, uh, Avon actually actually calls me.
0: Is Avon calling? And then you know Pete. So going back to what you said at the beginning, right? Pete is now freaking out that between Joan doing what she did and and then they put Bob Benson on Chevy.
1: Yep, Pete's now <laughs> outside looking in.
0: Pete is very pissed off. This is not the same business ever anymore. He says to Don, and Don is again not listening. But I think Pete's onto something here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: This episode, more than some, felt to me like building blocks for the, for the for 11, 12, 13.
1: Somewhat. And I don't even somewhat, remember the, most
0: of what's coming, but it just, it felt like...
1: Yeah. But I listen to me, anytime they're in L.A., it feels like everything that's happened since the last time we were in L.A. was a buildup to this trip to L.A. <laughs> so I always feel like L.A. is like a, a payoff mm. To a whole bunch of stuff, and I think it was this time too.
0: I actually felt bad for Don in this one because wow. it's always been. I mean, no, I mean Don's a dick, but it's <laughs> Don's a dick. But it's always been, again, it's always been a, a a haven for him, and and he did not. He this time he died, <laughs> like, and it just wasn't as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's take another break.
1: I'm going to take off my yellow pumps. They're killing me. And we'll come back and we'll do quotes.
0: What's your quote, Dan?
1: Uh, They're flying back from L.A. Roger says, this was after the carnation deal. Uh, Roger says, they don't understand what we do. Don says, or do they understand it thoroughly? They don't understand what we do is, is like the mantra of everybody at Sterling Cooper, right? Like, like Don says it, Roger says it, Pete says it, everybody's, and it's not, not even just advertising, right? Everybody everywhere yeah. thinks, you know, they don't know what I do. So it's, it's almost a cliche. But here, you know, after this whole thing, especially the conversation they had going out to LA on the plane, coming back, Don's trying to say, like, they're not bumpkins, you know, they're not, they're not pushovers. It was a great sort of button to that whole that whole ethos mm. of they don't understand what we do. He's like, eh, I think people are starting to get Kinda. it, Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great line. What's yours?
0: Andy Hayes is the Avon maybe client, and again, they're 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 talking about what's the strategy currently. What are the ads currently? I mean, that was one of the things Peggy asked. Right? It was uh, what do you think of their current campaign? You know? Yeah. And the line was, I don't, I don't know if we want to try to be groovier or nostalgic. I think that if you want to sum up this episode, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I don't know if we want to be groovier or nostalgic is perfect. Now, I do love just because just to get into like where Peggy started going with strategy. She was going down one, one path and then Joan cut her off. So then she goes to that, you know, she gets to this other path, which where she's where she's this line of inquiry Kind of leads to do you think your current ads are um nostalgic or just think they're an remember. uh she
1: says, are they unintentionally old fashioned, and that's where he starts to aha, yeah, you might get it, you know kind of thing, yeah, and that's I think his response was was what you said groovy or nostalgic well, nostalgia is the pain from an old wound from what I've I
0: heard that I've heard that you know,
1: and we it's not the only time we hear groovy this episode. Because Ted, <laughs> groovy to Joan about Avon.
0: One of the other things I, I just noted uh, was, and I can't remember this woman's name, uh, the, the one he was making out with at the party, but, but when Megan walks over to them, the other woman says, is that your old lady? Now that (laughs) is what the really, the hippies were saying, but also she's substantially younger than this woman saying it. So it it had a few, (laughs) a few layers to it, you know?
1: Yeah. Undertones and overtones at the same time.
0: Next next time, Favors. Episode 11 of season six, Favors.
1: Really? I don't even, I don't even remember. You could, I couldn't tell you one thing about this one. I don't even remember the the title. Let's
0: record now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> let's do, do it. Let's try to do
0: the episode without watching uh, first. A double-decker. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for
1: listening. Bye, everybody. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoineditpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoineditstore. Neat-looking shirts, hoodies, and shachkis. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoineditpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at tcimadmenpod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.